a critical error in the investigation of an accused wife killer. The RCMP mistake that could give him a break when the case goes to trial. Body-worn cameras for the VPD. It can capture a lot more of a situation and interaction. An exclusive look at what to expect from the pilot project launching tomorrow. And a mayor's mystery trip to Dubai. I still have some very basic questions that just have not been answered. Why one New West councillor wants an accounting of what happened and who paid for it. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks very much for joining us. And we start with a surprising development in the case of a man who was accused of killing his wife. As Rumina Dea reports, a BC Supreme Court justice has ruled that Langley RCMP breached his rights. It was the summer of 2021. On August 29th, someone called 911 to report Naomi Onatera missing. It was completely out of character. The Langley school teacher had not been seen or heard from since the day before. Onatera's husband, Obnis Regis, was last seen leaving the couple's home with their young daughter to get ice cream. Langley RCMP were granted access to the home by someone. The warrantless entry, not lawful, it was a violation of Regis's charter rights, ruled Supreme Court Justice Martha Devlin. Police believe they were justified because it was an emergency. There was nothing in the 911 call to indicate it was necessary to enter to protect Onatera or to investigate her disappearance, said Devlin. The judge also ruled Regis's rights were violated after he was initially arrested, handcuffed and put in the back of a police car for 15 minutes. No chance to speak to a lawyer. It was a missing person investigation. Regis not a suspect at the time. The voir dire ruling goes on to reveal other details about the case. Regis was cooperative. He gave police his wife's hairbrush and toothbrush to assist with obtaining a DNA sample. He also agreed to the search of two vehicles and consented to a search of his property with a cadaver dog trained to look for human remains. In the corner of the yard, near a pile of toys, an electric saw was eventually found. Near it, an item with strands of hair. Other biological material also found in the grass. Onatera's remains discovered two weeks after she was reported missing. The judge ruling the search was lawful because police sufficiently informed Regis a police dog would be used and he consented. It was not necessary for police to explain that the dog would use her nose to search for human remains, said Devlin. I find that Regis knew the dog was looking for human remains and the discovery of such evidence could be incriminating. Regis is charged with manslaughter and indignity to human remains. It's unclear how the ruling could affect the evidence at trial, which is scheduled to commence in May. The case will be heard by judge alone, no jury. Romina Dea, Global News. Lisa Batstone, the woman convicted of killing her eight-year-old daughter, has died in prison. Batstone was charged with second-degree murder in the smothering death after the body of her daughter, Tegan, was found in the back of her vehicle in December 2014. In 2019, she was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison with no chance of parole for 15 years. Correctional Service Canada says Batstone died while in custody at the Fraser Valley Institution and the circumstances of her death are being reviewed.
A man responsible for two random stabbings in Vancouver has been sentenced to five years in prison. Global's Christian Robinson has the details and troubling new information about the attacks and the criminal history of the accused. With credit for just under two years of time already spent in custody, Dennis Prasad, a dual citizen of Canada and the U.S., will serve three more years in prison. B.C. Provincial Court Judge Ellen Gordon accepted a joint sentencing submission from Crown and Defence, but noted she was considering a sentence in excess of 10 years. Prasad pleaded guilty to two counts of aggravated assault for attacking two strangers a day apart in September 2022. The first victim, a 55-year-old volunteer, had surgery to remove a kidney as a result of the stabbing near Oppenheimer Park. The second survivor, 27-year-old Hamidullah Habibi, came to Canada from Afghanistan four months prior for a better life. He was stabbed multiple times and had his throat slashed while he delivered food for DoorDash on his bike. I was really scared of him. This guy, he started stabbing me. And that time, you know, it was everything was happening so fast. So, um, and this time, I, I feel something in my throat that this was, I can't breathe. Defense said Prasad, who crossed the border into B.C. days before the stabbings, was under the influence of crystal meth and experiencing psychosis at the time. Crown noted both attacks were unprovoked and Prasad has a violent criminal history in the U.S. The 44-year-old's convictions in California, Nevada and Washington include carjacking and assault with a firearm, while he has outstanding warrants for carjacking and robbery in L.A. Crown says both victims suffered emotional distress and economic consequences. Habibi now lives in his car because he doesn't feel safe in the housing options available on the downtown east side. When the judge asked if he had anything to say, Prasad told the court, I think the Crown was slightly mistaken in saying I wasn't really remorseful. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Burnaby RCMP are requesting dash cam footage to help find the suspect in a sexual assault. It happened about 6.30 on New Year's Eve on Brentwood Drive near Delta Avenue. A woman was walking along Brentwood when she says she was approached by a man who asked for directions. He hugged and tried to kiss her. She pushed him away and he ran. Luckily, the victim wasn't physically hurt. She flagged down a passerby and called 911. The suspect is described as a slim man in his early 40s. If you have any dash cam footage of the incident, please contact Burnaby RCMP. Two new Westminster city councillors are questioning what they call a lack of transparency about the mayor's recent trip to Dubai. Patrick Johnstone traveled to the COP28 climate conference last month. But as Janet Brown reports, details about the expense and who paid the bills still aren't clear. The lack of transparency and openness on the part of the mayor on this particular trip should worry everybody in the city of New Westminster. New Westminster councillors Daniel Fontaine and Paul Minhas say Mayor Patrick Johnstone's trip to December's UN climate change conference in Dubai raises more questions than there are answers. It's puzzling why we would be sending our top elected official to an international conference and we had to find out about it through his Instagram account. Is the mayor's office trying to hide something? What are they trying to hide? Fontaine says council was unaware of the, the trip in advance, which was paid for, he says, by a third party. 
even though the city of New Westminster has clear rules for approval of international travel for staff. We're not allowed to accept free gifts, free trips, free anything. The community charter is very clear about that. If it is a gift, we, uh, the people, have the right to know how did it come about, who paid for it, what are the cost figures? We reached out to Mayor Patrick Johnstone, who responded by text saying he's out of town on vacation, therefore not available for an interview. When asked about details of the trip, including who paid for it, Johnstone texts back. The city was sponsored by C40 Cities. C40 Cities website says some of its funders and partners include L'Oreal, Inca Group, one of several group of companies that owns IKEA, and Bloomberg Philanthropies. Johnstone did not respond to text questions about why council didn't know in advance about the trip or if his wife also attended. He did say the city's manager of climate action went to the conference. If this is accepted, the mayor has opened up the door that every single member of this council, when they're offered a free trip by a lobby group or an organization, can take that free trip and walk without any questions asked. We have learned that New Westminster City staff will be reporting on the mayor's trip at Monday's council meeting. Janet Brown, Global News. Well, with the arrival of the new year comes the annual BC property assessments and the new threshold for the BC homeowner grant. And with a huge variation in home prices across the province, some say it's time the grant had a major makeover. As Richard Zisman reports, some even suggest it should be used to help renters. It's a grant homeowners take for granted, but should it or that still be the case? Given all the housing affordability issues facing British Columbia, my advice would be to abolish the homeowner grant. The homeowner's grant will go to all owners with homes valued at $2.15 million and below, covering 92% of BC homes. For Metro Vancouver, Fraser Valley and the Capital Region, it means $570 for each home and $770 for homeowners everywhere else in BC. Yesterday, a brash settlement on the edge of nowhere. The grant was put in place in 1957 as a way to incentivize home buying. One of the problems is it's not means tested and it does not include renters. If anything, I'd rather see money being given to renters or to those who are in social assistance rather than giving it to people who in many instances are mortgage free. Over 45% of British Columbians are mortgage free. The program costs the province around $900 million, and in a statement, Finance Minister Katrina Conroy says the province is not considering any changes right now, including moving to means testing or changing the grant based on where you live in the province. I'm not a politician, but there's no doubt that taking away the grant from over 60% of the population is not a very good way to try and get re-elected. It's a curious approach that goes into, given the bounty we do have, how do you share it? The province does fund a renter's rebate, which is means tested and only includes $370 million in government money. There is a certain level of inequalities, if you will, that occur with those who have, uh, who have, who have who own their homes and those who rent their homes. More than 40% of people now rent their homes in the province, and that number is growing. More pressure to rethink a program it's over 70 years old. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. 
And Keith Balgri joins us with more on this. Keith, Richard touched on it in his story, but mm -hmm. this year will factor into many decisions made by the province for one reason in particular, and that is... Me Yes, indeed. So 2024, it's now 2024, is an election year in B.C. Right now on the books, the date is Saturday, October 19th. That can be changed by Premier David Eby. He says he won't do that. Uh, but this is a year where the government's going to give back rather than take something away. So don't look for any significant changes on the homeowner grant. When it was introduced, as Richard said, in 1957, it was brought in by former visionary Premier W.A.C. Bennett. He used that as a very effective political tool for years. One reason why he was very popular for the next decade. So look for the government as we reported last week with Premier David Eby dropping broad hints about some sort of uh, affordability uh, component in the budget coming in February. He's dropped hints, perhaps a hydro rebate. So again, it's an election year. Look for the government to give things to people rather than to take them away. And we'll just be hearing more of that as the year progresses. Mm -hmm. Keith, thank <laughs> you. It could be a bumpy road for Metro Vancouver commuters who rely on public transit. The union representing Coast Mountain Transit supervisors trainers and engineers issued 72-hour strike notice. As Grace Key reports, that job action, beginning with an overtime ban, is set to start Saturday morning. Starting 8 a.m. Saturday, there is an overtime ban for Coast Mountain Bus Company supervisors across Metro Vancouver. QP Local 4500 issued the strike notice after talks broke down with the employer Tuesday evening. But it was pretty clear at the end of a long day of mediation that the employer was not willing to address our key issues. And uh, as a result, we, we had no option but to uh, issue 72-hour strike notice. The union represents about 180 supervisors that includes transit, maintenance, service and TCOM. Not only do they remain far apart on some key issues such as pay and workload, neither side can agree on how much this overtime ban will affect service. The president of the bus company says we do not anticipate the union's planned overtime ban to impact transit service at this time. There's going to be a service um, delay most likely there will be buses that don't make it into service and if they do there's going to be a lot that, that are late getting out uh, for service. Coast Mountain says it has offered the union the same general wage increase that was already agreed to by all other CNBC employees. This offer is consistent with other public sector settlements in BC. It shows that the employer doesn't understand what our issues are because we have no problem with the general wage increase. Um, what we're looking for, as far as wage increase goes, is a fair wage increase for the group that are not compensated appropriately when compared to other TransLink groups. For now, both sides are urging the other to go back to the table, with the union saying job action could ramp up if an agreement isn't made soon. And if they're not willing to address those issues, then we're going to have to progress from the overtime ban uh, to uh, increase our job action. Which would be what? Well everything up until and, and including a full walkout. I'm not going to speak for other unions, but if we do a full walkout, then our assumption is that there will be no buses running. The holidays are about to end and people will be relying on the bus as they head back into their routines. Grace Key, Global News. It's a David versus Goliath dispute in Vancouver retail. Arcteryx is a BC born and bred company that rose to success selling outdoor gear. But when global sportswear giant Adidas opened a store called Terex just down the street, they got ready for a fight. What happened when they took it to a judge? Next on the News Hour. I feel like this is just one way that I can support the community. 
Meet Kiana, a kid making the world a better place, one sandwich at a time, later on the news hour. And hibernating under a home, the bear that made a bad decision coming up later as well. Right now, though, what's in a name? Quite a bit, if you ask Arcteryx. The BC-born outdoor brand is in a trademark dispute involving Adidas. Adidas has a store called Terex, just a few doors down from the Arcteryx store in Vancouver's Kitsilano neighborhood. Cassidy Moscone joins us now live from 4th Avenue as this legal battle intensifies. Cassidy. This is coming up to a year-long battle, Chris. It's been playing out through the courts since February last year. That's when Arcteryx first filed its injunction in the Supreme Court to stop Adidas trading as Terex here on West 4th in Kitsilano. Arcteryx and Terex, two adventure stores mere metres apart, deep in one big legal battle. Yeah, good riddance Adidas. Enough of this. Adidas can hit the bricks. This is a local company. It's wonderful. I say more of this, less of that. It's a shame it's this close beside their other, uh, their other store, but uh, maybe the product will stand out for itself. I actually didn't make that association when I saw Terex like, first opened up. But, because, I mean, I think Arcteryx is a kind of a brand on its own and it stands for itself. In January last year, Terex, owned by German sportswear giant Adidas, opened its doors to the public on West 4th in Kitsilano. The neighbours, Arcteryx, weren't happy. Court documents reveal the high-end Vancouver-founded company filed a legal injunction the next month, asking for damages and the store to be closed, claiming it wrongfully traded on the reputation and goodwill of the Arcteryx brand and violated laws related to the protection of trade marks, passing off and unfair competition. The application reads, if not issued, Arcteryx will suffer irreparable harm. Adidas denies every claim and says the plaintiff is seeking to restrain legitimate competition. A three-day hearing followed, where it was revealed Arcteryx hired private investigators who interviewed some employees in the Terex store, who supposedly admitted that at least 100 or more people came into the store, mistaking it for Arcteryx down the road. The court documents also noted the Kitslano store didn't have the word Adidas anywhere on the front. At numerous other locations, including stores in the Vancouver area, the Adidas performance bars are accompanied by the name Adidas underneath. Well, obviously there's some passion among customers in this story and this is a heated legal battle. What happens next, Cassidy? Well, Chris, Arcteryx has won the first round. A Supreme Court justice granted the injunction this week. Uh, conditionally, it means that this Terex store behind me won't be able to use that name until the matter goes to trial. In a statement, Adidas, who owns Terex, told Global News, we are disappointed with the preliminary decision, but look forward to defending our case in the full proceeding. For over 10 years at, at Adidas, Terex has created products for adventurers, and we remain committed to the outdoor community. A very interesting case indeed, Vancouverites, you know, we're all adventurers, I'm sure we'll be watching this closely. Chris and Sophie. That's for sure. Thanks a lot, Cassidy. Well, it's a fraction the size of Tesla, but BYD has just pulled ahead in the electric vehicle race. Chinese electric car company BYD, which stands for Build Your Dreams, announced it sold a record 526,000 battery-only vehicles in the final quarter of 2023. 
Tesla delivered over 484,000 vehicles in that same period, a record for the company, but falling short of its competitor. BYD's more affordable vehicles helped it attract a wider group of consumers. Its cars are not yet available in North America, but it is one of the biggest players in electric buses. Just ahead, an exclusive look at the Body Camera Pilot Project. Vancouver police train on their new tool, recording evidence from every interaction. But first, the dangerous cloud that enveloped a Surrey gas station. Number of roads in Surrey were closed for several hours today while RCMP and fire crews worked to contain a propane leak. Take a, le uh, take a look at this. The leak happened at this gas station in the area of 88th Avenue and Harvey Road. You can see the white clouds spilling out from the station into the streets. The immediate area was evacuated while crews contained the leak and all roads are now back open. So far, there's no word on what caused the leak in the first place. Global News is getting an exclusive look at the body cameras some Vancouver police officers will be wearing starting tomorrow. As Catherine Urquhart shows us, the pilot program has been years in the making and follows recommendations from the Miles Gray coroner's inquest. It's currently running right now, but uh, not actively recording. Vancouver police officer Katie Ranger has a new piece of equipment, a body camera. I'm part of a, the trial pilot project, so I'm the, one of the coordinators. Ranger is one of 84 patrol members who will be wearing them in the coming days, following training sessions. That will rise to 100 officers. One of them is going to be a contact officer, the other one's going to be covered. The cameras are activated by two taps and blink when turned on, allowing civilians to know if they're being recorded. Also, the expectation is that our officers, when it's appropriate and safe to do so, will advise any person that they're interacting with that they are being recorded. Expediting use of body cameras was recommended by the Miles Gray inquest jury, which deemed the 33-year-old's death a homicide. Gray died in a violent confrontation with VPD members in 2015. Body cameras are used in a number of Canadian cities, VPD's pilot program was announced after Vancouver City Council provided $200,000 in funding. To actively record it, I just have to press the button twice, and uh, now we're recording, audio and visual. The cameras are small and each weighs approximately two pounds. Each officer um, who is participating in the pilot project has been assigned a personally issued body camera. This is just a docking station. Recordings will be automatically deleted after 13 months unless there's evidence of a crime or there has been a complaint. It captures a more complete picture of an interaction or a situation rather than maybe a, an independent witness's version of events. It's expected that all VPD patrol officers will wear body cameras in the next few years. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. And coming up, plenty of plates for the hungry. Once they started getting some food, they were, they were doing better in life. The young girl working hard to make sure customers feel full, even if they can't afford it. Also tonight, he owns the land and the tiny home, but he's not allowed to live there. His fight against rules he and many others say are unfair. From breaking news to developing stories, no one connects you to your community better than BC's number one news. Come home to the team you trust. Global News Hour at 6. We are BC's News. 
An update now on the Peachland man who's been fighting his regional district over his right to live on his land in his tiny home. Ryan King has been told by Regional District of Central Okanagan that his house on his 12-acre lot is classified as an RV. And under the district's regulations, RVs are not allowed as permanent dwellings. The Regional District office is now reopened after its holiday closure and says while homes on wheels are allowed, they have to meet the BC Building Code in regard to safety as well as water and sewage services. We work really closely with a, a, a lot of our, our, our homeowners and property owners, um, making sure that whether it's a building permit they need to, they, they, we have our building inspectors that work with. If it's bylaw enforcement, uh, we have uh, our staff out there uh, making sure that uh, uh, bylaws are adhered to. About them wanting to work with me on uh, the whole tiny home situation, yeah, it's great that they're starting to cooperate. Uh, it's a step in the right direction. King is still pushing for change and wants the regulations amended to make living in a tiny home easier. And more than 2,100 people have signed a petition in his support. Now, an 11-year-old Burnaby girl is doing her part to make life a little easier for those living on Vancouver's downtown east side. For the past few years, she has been raising funds to make sure people in need have access to a good meal. Angela Jung has her story. <sighs> Kiana Lai on a mission. Do you want a meal token? Marching through the downtown east side to ensure people don't go hungry here. I think that's 30. Amazing, thank you so much. You're welcome. <laughs> and in SROs. I've always taken for granted all my meals and like that I get to live in a warm house. So I'm really grateful that I get like food and everything every day. And so I feel like this is just one way that I can support the community. In 2019, Kiana was just seven years old when she raised $140 worth of meal tokens. Now she's raised about $570 worth by holding a drive through lemonade stand and garage sale through the pandemic. A Better Life Foundation, which operates out of the Save on Meats building, considers Kiana to be an unofficial member of the team. She rolls up her sleeves and comes and helps, but she also like carries on the mission on her own time and, and spreads the gospel of what we're doing to all types of different audiences. Three, four, five, six, seven. She has 130 tokens to hand out, which can be exchanged for a warm meal. It's a meal token at Save on Meats just down there. Save on Meats, the diner is closed, but people can still redeem their tokens here at this takeout window. Happy New Year. Her mother says she's proud to see the young philanthropist blossom and help reduce the stigma of the downtown east side. It's all humans around, um, and so I think especially through the pandemic, we really learned that we got to be there for each other. Kiana isn't stopping here. It says living outside sucks. Over the holidays, she joined volunteers to cook and serve a three-course meal as part of the foundation's Plenty of Plates initiative. Now Kiana hopes to be the youngest organizer. I'm very happy and excited that I got to do something nice for the community. Looking forward to doing it again. To continue spreading kindness. Thank you. <laughs> Angela Jung, Global News. Good for her. Mm -hmm. Coming up, an unwanted house guest. Thank God cameras have really good zoom now. The poor bear who picked the wrong place to hibernate.
And coming up in sports, why the Canucks are not satisfied about their game last night, even though they won. 2023 was the warmest and driest year on record for Kamloops. And there are concerns that could cause problems down the road. Environment Canada says the average temperature for Kamloops last year was nearly two degrees above normal. And as for rain, the city received barely 50% of its normal precipitation, breaking a record set back in 1979. As with many other parts of B.C., that is generating concerns about next year's fire season. And the Kamloops area is a very dry, arid area to begin with. So getting 148 mils over the whole year is pretty uh, astoundingly low. And that's really going to cause us some issues moving forward. Proctor says there's still a chance for the Kamloops area to build up its snowpack as temperatures are expected to cool down below seasonal levels heading into the weekend. And on the plus side, after a slow start to the season, the Sun Peaks Resort is thriving with good snow levels attracting skiers and boarders from around the world. Better late than never. Yeah, all right. Well, let's bring in Yvonne Shell with a closer look at what all those skiers and boarders are hoping for. <laughs> uh, some cooler temperatures is on the rise in our long range, and we have the potentials for some snow, even for us here across the lower mainland. I'll have that in just a moment. We're tracking soggy conditions this evening. We've picked up some rain. It'll intensify, especially overnight, and this takes us in towards tomorrow morning. Mild, though, temperatures today got into the double digits. We're currently sitting at 9, but it is breezy. We're seeing some of those gusts getting closer to 30 kilometers per hour. There is that wave of rain with some heavier pockets embedded within it. It'll push its way in towards the Fraser Valley. We're tracking it across the island. We can continue to see waves of moisture through the morning hours for most areas along the coast. And this is the weather maker that's impacting us with very wet and windy conditions. And then it's a series of storms just in behind it. But we do have some cooler temperatures that'll be on the way. Now, the area that is tracking snow is near Stewart. A snowfall warning is in effect with up to 15 centimeters this evening. It should taper off to flurries as we get in towards the morning. And if you're traveling along the mountain passes, a few areas of note, Coquihalla will see an additional five centimeters for tomorrow areas along the Kootenai Pass between two and up to four centimeters and then most areas along the Sea to Sky and the connector will be just tracking some flurries and not much in terms of accumulation. All right in the long-range forecast as we take a look we've got this cool Arctic air that is going to push in across the province into next week but it'll likely be later next week that we'll see some of the cooler temperatures. For us the area or the day that we're looking for is on our Sunday overnight to Monday. It's cold enough that we could see some snow mixed with rain and a bit of a trend transition and into later next week we'll see those temperatures dropping off areas into Prince George will be into the minus double digits and potentially lead into next week we could get down to minus 21. Wet and windy along the north coast temperatures will be up to five a few flurries still lingering across the central interior more of a clearing on the way towards the afternoon. Southeastern corners of the province it'll be similar with a bit of a transition over terrain and most areas along the south coast and the lower mainland will see the heavier rainfall for the morning hours tapering off I anticipate We'll actually see some sunshine in the mix for tomorrow and then Friday with another wave of rain. Weekend so far, it's late Sunday. And then as we get in towards our Monday that we have the potential to see some rain or snow. All right, tonight's weather window, a great gorgeous shot. This one captured by David in Francois Lake. Guys, lovely. Uh, I don't know. Monday's looking like a slush bomb day. I'm scared <laughs> about well, Monday. Stay tuned. <laughs> stay tuned. We will for sure. Thanks very much, Yvonne. Two Okanagan women are vying for top spot in a sweet competition. As Sydney Morton shows us, they're putting their baking talents to the test, hoping to be crowned the greatest baker. 
two Okanagan women are in the running to win the chance of a lifetime. A professional photo shoot for a two-page spread in international magazine Bake From Scratch, $10,000, a meet and greet with TV's Buddy Velastro of Cake Boss, and a new title of The Greatest Baker. I saw it on Facebook and I thought, why not, you know, take a chance. The competition brings together all types of bakers, from home cooks to restaurant bakers to bakery owners. Anarine is a foods teacher in Kelowna who has been passionate about baking since she was a young girl. It would mean so much being also diabetic. When I was just diagnosed being diabetic, I thought, you know, how can I continue baking? Because I cannot taste my own food and it's just in me and I just couldn't stop baking. Anarine adjusts some recipes so that she can enjoy them and others she relies on her husband and sons as her tasters. Lana Dick is a home baker who lives in Vernon, who has also been baking since she was a young girl. And now she shares her creations with her friends, family, and co-workers. Well, anything with a bag of flour and sugar and somehow wonderful things turn out. And I was a little kid and my mom and dad would just let me grab a recipe book and yeah, Betty Crocker was my, was my go-to. The way the competition works is the bakers are placed into groups and people can vote for them every day to push them into the top spots to continue on through group finals, wildcard rounds, semi-finals, and then the finals in February. It's such a huge competition to even be where I am right now is just, I'm kind of blown away. The winners will be announced on February 9th and you can vote for them every day until then. For more information about how to support the Okanagan bakers, visit globalnews.ca slash Okanagan. Sydney Morton, Global News. And we have a lot of volunteers here on the News Hour. If you need taste testers, just send it our way. Yeah. We're happy. All right, attitude is everything in baking and in sports, right, Squire? Well, um, the Canucks have this long-term vision, which is good. So a five-goal first period and a 6-3 win over Ottawa last night still, still was not enough to satisfy the Canucks fully. We're going to take steps as a team. We need to play the second and third like it's nothing, nothing. And I thought that uh, you know, we, we, got, we, we played worse after the first period. Well, now the Canucks head out on a seven-game road trip looking for the perfect 60-minute game. Also coming up... The BC homeowners who discovered a bear under there. Striving for perfection is not a bad thing. No, it's not. You're not going to always get it. In fact, most times you're not, but it's always a good goal. Last night's 6-3 win over Ottawa gave you a rather crystal clear look at the mentality of Canucks head coach Rick Tockett. Now, Vancouver started the game with a 5-0 lead, which, of course, is great. And that first period basically won the game. But Tockett and the coaching staff didn't like being outscored 3-1 in the final two periods. Now, Rick Tockett is playing the long game here. He knows that when the Canucks meet up with a tougher team, especially in the playoffs, they will need a full 60. It comes back to Zadorov. Myers with room. Slap pass and tip high by Lafferty. The first period was a pure example of the old adage, 
you have to be good to be lucky. And the Canucks were very much both of those things. Pucks were falling in the right spots. And there were goals that looked like bank shots only a pool shark could think up. Yeah, it was a good first. Um, a couple of lucky bounces went away, but I thought we earned them. Uh, we definitely came ready to play, and it was nice to obviously have a five goalie. The five goals included a power play marker that also featured a fortunate bounce, but nobody on the Canucks was very happy with what happened after the first 20 minutes. If we're going to take steps as a team, we need to play the second and third like it's nothing, nothing. And I thought that uh, you know, we, we, got, we, we played worse after the first period, so... Um, nice to enjoy the win, but you know it's kind of been going the same all year. We're going to evaluate ourselves honestly, and and uh, we didn't play very well after the first period. I thought we lost our staples. You know, we didn't go through people, and then we were backing up. Guys were skating backwards in the neutral zone. You know, uh, tension when we shouldn't. You know, third man not be. Those are the things that for me I don't like. Um, whether you're up ten nothing or nothing, because it become it can become contagious, and we got to stop that. So that's all I'm saying. Tomorrow, the Canucks are in St. Louis. Now, the soccer offseason for Major League Soccer teams doesn't last very long. For example, the Vancouver Whitecaps will be training next week, and they'll play a Champions Cup game starting February 7th. The MLS season begins March 2nd. So, Vanny Sartini is getting things ready to go right now. But, of course, he will have to start the MLS regular season under suspension for what happened at the end of last season. Vanny Sartini is calm, collected, and ready for the 2024 soccer season, which begins Sunday when the Whitecaps do medicals and some late practice prior to departing on Tuesday for three weeks of training and four preseason matches in Spain. I really like it. I think last year it was uh, a big part of, uh, I would say, uh, gelling the team together and uh, doing a very good experience abroad and, uh, and um, I would say working a lot. Um, um, in uh, where you have quote-unquote no uh, distraction because we are together for three weeks so we are almost forced to talk about to think about football almost 24 hours a day and the other thing that I really like that the fact that we're gonna have uh, different opposition instead of playing kind of MLS teams even in preseason we're gonna play European teams and it's always like a little bit of uh, uh, it's always nice to face different style different players and so on Red card for coach, he's on the field. Everyone's losing control here. This was the last time we saw Vanny Sartini. His caps crashing out of the MLS playoffs in controversial fashion, falling 1-0 to LAFC on a contested goal where the ref played a major role in deciding the outcome. Sartini lost it on the field, earning a red card, and didn't hold back in the post-game press conference. His action and words earning him a six-game suspension and $20,000 fine. He cannot in any job, but especially in this job where you have uh, to connect with people, to the team, to the front office, to the fans, to the media, I think it's impossible to do your job well if you're not true to yourself. Uh, being true to yourself, it doesn't mean that you don't have to evolve and you don't have to improve. So, you know, uh, I will always be emotional, but uh, if I control even better my emotion, why not? Now there's a possibility Sartini's suspension could be reduced. He can participate in training sessions and coach the Caps during their upcoming Champions League matches in February, but no MLS sideline duty until April. So the plan right now is to cram as much into training as possible. For a few games I won't be on the sideline. Uh, that means that uh, everything needs to be 
even more prepared than usual, even more sad than usual, even more, I would say, uh, clockwork than usual. The BC Lions have re-signed two players. Defensive lineman uh, Sione Tehema got a two-year extension after recording seven sacks and 37 tackles last season. And kick returner Scary Terry Williams was also given a two-year extension. He led the CFL in kick return yardage. He was third in punt return yardage as well last year. There you go. All right. Thanks, Squire. Coming up next, the sleepy bear that just got evicted. Jordan Armstrong standing by in the newsroom now with a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jordan? Sophie, a new survey has found more British Columbians are being targeted by a specific type of spam call. We'll have details tonight. Plus, the floating Chevron station is the last of its kind in Coal Harbour. There used to be five gas barges just off downtown Vancouver, and one of them disappeared rather suddenly. Fifty years ago today, there was a huge fiery explosion that longtime Vancouverites still talk about, and we'll hear from a couple of them tonight on Global News at 11. Sophie? All right, looking forward to that. Thanks, Jordan. So a family in Duncan was tipped off by their dog that there might be an uninvited house guest lurking around. A quick survey of the crawl space revealed a sleepy bear looking for a winter den. Kylie Stanton reports. That's the look with the hair and the tail. Standing at attention, keeping a close watch. Hey, Coco. Don't let this face fool you. Coco has earned the title of guard dog. Every time she got out on the deck, she was barking. She just wouldn't let it go. It all started a couple of weeks ago, but despite the dog's best attempts, the disturbances heard around this rural property near Duncan only grew more concerning. And then last Thursday, uh, we were in bed and we kept hearing a bunch of bumping and banging sort of noises and Coco was just right on edge. So my husband went down there once daylight broke and came about... 10 feet from a black bear. The animal had dug a hole underneath the patio, nestling in and making itself at home. Was way back in here. With the conservation officer service on scene, Weaver captured this video from a safe distance, posting it to her TikTok account. The dog has been losing it for weeks, barking her face off, and we finally went and looked under the deck and found this. Overnight, the video went from a couple of views to a couple million. Weaver's followers now at an all-time high weighing in. That it's a rather unbearable situation. Uh, that was one of my favorites. But experts say it's not uncommon to see bears stumble into these situations when looking for a place to hibernate. That said, this year with the unseasonably mild winter, there's a chance the bear was just testing things out. They are pushed into those changes in behavior like hibernation and based on what is happening in the climate and the weather, right? So, yeah, it could be that it's just been so warm and hasn't really felt like time to go into sleep yet. Conservation officers used non-lethal measures to scare the animal off, and Weaver has since bear-proofed the area. He's a good girl. As for Coco, new followers should know she's ready to go back to being the star of Weaver's TikTok account. This dog has had its day. They're going to be sorely, like, bummed out once they get my regular content, I think. <laughs> Kylie Stanton, Global News. Well, and hopefully the bear is finally getting the rest mm -hmm. that it deserves. It's pretty good at building it, Dan. You just need to 
pick a better location. <laughs> All right, uh, let's check in with Yvonne one more time here before we sign off. Yvonne. Uh, we're tracking rain this evening. It'll take us in towards tomorrow morning, but it is going to ease off, hoping to see a few breaks in there for the afternoon. Nine will be the high tomorrow. Another round of rain moving in on Friday, and then we're anticipating some breaks. But look ahead and plan ahead. It's Sunday night into Monday. It could be cold enough that we are seeing the potential for some snow or snow mix with rain. Could be slushy as we get in towards our Monday. So we're looking ahead towards the latter half of the weekend. All right. Thanks very much, Yvonne. And thank you all for watching. We appreciate it. Have a great night. Good night, all.